Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, I'm Sandy Loder and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership series. Sandy, it's great to have you on the series. You are an old friend I've known for many years and I've wanted to have you on because you've got some fabulous stories to tell, uh, a great journey and you've worked with some really interesting people. Tell us about what you're doing now and you've been doing in the last few years and then also that that amazing life journey into leadership, what got you into leadership and the work you're doing now. But begin with now and take us backwards. Okay, I, so I run two businesses, one sort of morphed out of the other, but I, I worked, uh, I'm a fifth generation member of the Fleming family and I worked in, um, I worked in the Fleming, Robert Fleming business, which is a bank in the city. And I joined that after I left the army. And I was in the army for six years and I worked in the bank for eight years. And then they decided they would sell it to Chase Manhattan and then JP Morgan um, took it all over. And I was then helped responsible for setting up a single family office, which I worked in for another 10 years, during which time I went to Harvard Business School. And I sort of hit a glass ceiling, uh, a little bit to do with family politics and I decided I'd leave and that was really where the start of my journey began as an entrepreneur and I set up my own business AH Loader Advisors which was really the aim was to um, help families with wealth with succession with setting up a single family office Um, but something that really will come back to probably is is working with the next gen. So the next gen, the younger generation of of family, 18 up to 30 or 40, I had started to run a course at at Fleming's in 2010, and and that just escalated. And by 2010, we had had about 400 people has come through um, on that programme. And then I got asked to um, carry on running that program for another bank, which then we called the Future Leaders Program. And probably another 300 came through over the last seven to 10 years, about 300 people came through on that. And it was during one of those programs that one of the people on it said to me, oh, what you do is quite interesting. Can you come and help us? So I spent a winter working with um, the Oxford University Lightweight university boat race crew which was a fascinating six months of taking relatively amateur rowers up to the sort of professional athlete level within six months and it was all around performance and much of the work I was doing with the next gen was about improving their performance and and that really spun off and I thought well I can't have a business that that focuses on family offices and families uh, and yet I'm working with with elite athletes. And so I set up Peak Dynamics and Peak Dynamics ended up work. We, I mean, we still do work with elite athletes, extreme adventurers uh, and a lot of um, 
special forces. So we work in a very extreme environment where the results are very binary. So in, 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 whether it's in sport, it's win or lose. But when you start to get to the extreme end, it, it's life or death decisions. And so what I focus on is improving the quality of the decision making. So I ended up working with a range of, um, over the last few years, I've worked with a range of different people, especially focusing where, where it is very binary. So whether that's special forces or, or extreme. And so I've helped quite a lot of people row the Atlantic um, and, and helped a few people get a few world records and a few world firsts and crossing the Antarctic. So it, it's been a fascinating, um, a fascinating journey, both working with families, but also working with some of these extreme um, athletes at, at the top of their game, but in a very binary environment, uh, trying to improve the quality of the decision making. And that really spins back to A.H. Loder. What you're trying, what I'm trying to do here is help families where they've been very successful, trying to help the next generation be as successful as the previous generation. And that's ultimately about helping them make high quality decisions. And for quite a lot of them, they lack a lot of experience. They haven't probably done the hard graph Mars that many of us have done. They come in at a much later stage, have a lot of money, and then are required to make a lot of very serious decisions. And they just don't have that ability uh, to fall back on, on their experience. So I'm trying to teach them a process that will hopefully give them a high quality decision. Likewise, if you're crossing the Antarctic, you, you don't want to make too many bad decisions. Otherwise, um, you know, there's going to be a life or death decision. So, you know, that's been really my focus over the last 10 years. I think with this lockdown, I've, I've started to work on another idea, which, which I call Leaders Walks, which is a way of getting leaders and people together to network, but at the same time, get out and take some exercise. And so... I've been putting together a whole range of different walks um, that hopefully once we've come down a tier or two and, and the pubs can open, we can I can take people for walks, they can network and we can end up in, in a pub for lunch. So, and that really that really has taken over uh, or follows on from, from a lot of the walks um, I've been doing with clients over the last few years. So I was just calculating um, before um, we spoke, how many miles I've walked since the beginning of September? And it's something like 845 miles I've walked since then. Wow! Wow! And that is really fascinating. That that mix between high net worth individuals, different generations uh, of the family, um, and then these elite athletes or special forces people or explorers. What do you think each of the different groups have? to teach each other. And, and of course, you'd always think it's the special forces and the explorers and the elite athletes that have lots to teach these young uh, high net worth individuals, but is there anything the other way? Uh, and what do, you, what do you think that the, they, they could learn from each other? Gosh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I, I think, you know, if I was to go back to the, you know, the end of my military career, I, I was running Brigade Squad, which was an iconic, course um, run by the household division uh, for selection of potential officers becoming officers in the, in the British Army. And, and we had to remodel that eight-week program. And, and sort of my life has, has circled back um, 
into helping people perform. And I think, you know, I think what links both these extreme guys and those, in my experience of working with pretty well, most of those elite athletes are in the same group as the next gen. They're all roughly the same age. I think what what is what I've noticed in the next gen of, of high net worth individuals is in more often than not, there's no consequence in their life. They don't need to get out of bed. They've got a lot of money. Um, and, and I find that they get to about 30, but they've got an actual experience of a 20 year old. They probably don't even know how to use a photocopier. Um, and, and a lot of them struggle because they've missed that 28, 20, 10 years when they're in their 20s, getting that, that experience. Um, and I'm not saying every next gen is like that, but obviously the ones that come to me have got problems. And so I, I'm ending up dealing with how do I, how do I get people to perform when there's no consequence in their life and get them to perform to their best? But I think with both, it's about trying to teach them a process so they can make a high quality decision. And I think that's that's the bit. What can one teach the other? I mean, one is obviously operating in a very binary environment where it's winning a game or losing a game, or it's it's about um, it's about making right decisions um, when when if you get it wrong, it's a life or death. And I think. You know, you can blend that over into families where you've got a next gen who, who lacks a lot of experience, but is having to make some very binary decisions because they've taken over potentially a business. And 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 um and they don't have a process because they haven't got the experience of, of learning how to make mis- make mistakes and then learn how to make good decisions. So I think it comes down to teaching each other the decision making is ultimately, you know, whether it's an England rugby player, it, he has to make a decision whether to pass the ball to the right or to the left. And one's going to be right and one's going to be wrong. But it's trying to improve the quality of that decision in a nanosecond. Mm. Um, whereas, whereas the next gen's floundering around going, well, I've got to make a decision about the business, but, I, I, you know, who do I trust? I don't really have as much experience as I probably should. And what I, I, I love about you, Sandy, is that it, it could be very easy with all these people that you work with to get up yourself. Um, and you are still got a lovely sense of a bit of humility, a bit of humanity, a bit of humor. You can, you can uh, laugh at yourself and the situation you're in, but it, it must be actually in some ways quite humbling being with some of these fascinating people who push themselves to, to extremes. I mean, I know you do anyway yourself, but, but they're going to another level. Um, what have you sort of learned that's given you the humility to, to work with these kind of people and still learn from them as well as teaching them? Well, I could put myself down and say, I think everyone else is far more knowledgeable than I am. But um, I, I, you know, I, I, the Special Forces guys and the extreme adventures, the extreme adventures, without a doubt, are the most resilient lot I've, I've come across. Um, I think they're a fantastic, fascinating group and and understanding what takes them and what motivates them to go to that extreme um, in order to achieve what they want to achieve, which isn't to make millions. You know, most of them, you know, most of the work I do for them is is for nothing because they haven't got anything. But what they do is is amazing. And, And if I can help them do that, get even better, if I can help them make better decisions, then, you know, that's. It's just trying to help others get better, I think, and, and perform better. Um, 
you know, we all have our own demons and we all have our own struggles. But I suppose all my life has been pretty well from from the, my final period in the army has always been about helping, trying to help others improve their performance. And, and I suppose that's that's what I've done for really since a very long time, probably 1990. I've been doing it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I've done it a very long time now. And, and of course, in many ways to the outsider, there you were, you had a, a privileged upbringing, you were from a, a wealthy family, you went into the Grenadier Guards, uh, you know, it, it could have been that you appeared to be one of these sort of tough, tough, posh guys who didn't get reality, but you've had to learn, you know, from some tough ones and some good ones, which we're going to talk about later. Looking back on to when you were 18 and a young man, Knowing what you've learned now, you've been on numerous courses, you've studied, you've read, you've really aimed to master the profession, the professional aspects of leadership and development and teams and peak performance. What bit of wisdom and advice from all these things that you've learned would you give your younger self and go, Sandy, this is really what matters? What, what would be your bit of advice or your, you know, a few tips? So I don't think I really looked at myself hard until about 2010 when I set out on my own pathway. You know, I'd been in an institution at the school, I'd been in an institution in the army, and then I joined an institution in the city. And, and, and being in a family firm, it was, it was a very difficult environment where you one moment you were put on the pedestal as a family member and others, it was, you know, there used to be a saying of family held back, you know, we were paid the worst, made to work the hardest, you know, it, 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 it's quite a roller coaster ride that, that, that I've taken seeing my parents go through a very bitter divorce, seeing, um, you know, financially, I've, I, it, it, it's, it's gone one way, not through, through my, uh, anything to do with me. But so it's been a, it's been a, it's been a rocky ride of which one's got to pick oneself up. So if I was to go back and tell an 18 year old me what to do, I, I think, it's about defining your own pathway. You know, I often use the analogy, life is quite like climbing a mountain, whether it's an Everest or whatever. There's many pathways up that mountain, but you've got to define your own pathway and develop the skills enable you to get up that pathway. And it's, it's often like a stepping stone. So life, is, life used to be very hierarchical, like walking up a set of stairs and you used to get promoted in and eventually retire slightly overweight with your large pension and, and your final salary scheme. And it was all very comfortable. It's not like that any longer. It, I think it's more about focusing on heading in the right direction, but not focusing on the destination. Uh, and staying going in the right direction might zigzag. And it's a bit like going on stepping stones. I think it's about picking up skills on one stepping stone, picking up experiences on the other stepping stone, and, and, and stepping stones aren't in a straight line, but occasionally you might hit a stepping stone that gives you good fortune and, and accelerates you. So I think it's about defining your own pathway, getting the right skills that you need in order to get up that pathway, get the experience. And then I think the second point is building a good team around you. So nobody climbs a big mountain on their own. They have Sherpas. And, and, and I call the sort of Sherpas our, our, our mentors. Is build a good team around you who... who no one will ever see, but you speak to daily or you speak to weekly, who, who give you advice and guide you and are there 
as a support net when you're struggling a little bit or you're wanting a piece of advice or what do you think I should do here? So I think define your pathway, get a good set of team around you and have courage, be brave uh, and build up your resilience. You know, life is very tough out there and, and it's about bouncing back. Um, and, and, you know, I often use the crevasse analogy. You know, you can fall into a crevasse and you can sit in the bottom of that crevasse. It's very cold. It's quite dangerous. And you can wallow in self-pity. But you've got to get yourself out of that. Otherwise, you will die. And, and, and you know, in many respects, we're in that crevasse moment where it's it, we're all locked down. Some of our businesses are really struggling. It is you've got to get yourself out of that crevasse as quickly as you possibly can. And you've got to got to work that out. So and I think the final piece of advice is learn to listen to others and, and especially that others speak first because it, it starts to formulate what you're going to how you're going to respond. But you can hear them first. Learning to listen, I think, is the hardest skill. We're never taught it. Uh, we're never taught it at school. And yet we sit there for hours listening to a teacher. Our brains work five times faster than someone speaks. So we end up daydreaming or drifting off. So learning to listen, I think, is, is really important. Uh, I, Sandy, the great bits of wisdom. And I am particularly a fan of, of your last one. And, and you and I have talked about Nancy Klein's book, The Promise, It Changes Everything. I won't interrupt you. Um, but also Oscar Trimboli in his book, Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words, I found very helpful uh, and would commend, commend to others. Um, and you're right, you know, we, we do lots of courses on speaking, on, on the transmission, um, but actually communication is not the fact that you've transmitted, it's whether the other person has listened and heard you uh, and there's nothing more insulting than someone says to you, I hear what you say, which means they actually don't really agree with you, but they've, they've heard it, but they haven't really heard it because they, they don't listen. And I, it's a skill, a bit like mindfulness that you and I do. And I was doing it for about 15 minutes this morning and then some yoga. And, and, and I find the mind drifts off and it comes back and you have to keep working on it. And listening's the same. Um, and of course, the error that many of our listeners make, and I'm sure you and I do, is when we're with someone who is our partner and we're close to and we love dearly, we relax because we finished work, we've come home to them. Well, you're probably in the same room. You've moved out of one room and you've into the next one. And, and you don't treat them with the same respect that you would someone you're working with or as a client of yours and give them the, the listening skills that they deserve. What, what do you think? I totally agree. You know, I, I've really had to work hard at it because, you know, I think I have a quite a hyper rational brain. So my brain is working very fast, coming up with solutions and therefore you interrupt people. And I used to be terrible at interrupting people because I wanted to sort of my brain was wearing away. But I've really had to learn to just to just listen. And also, you know, that getting in a meeting, getting the other person to speak first, I think is a real skill because it allows you to watch where the elephant traps are. And, and when you sit down in that meeting and, 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 you know, we all like to talk about ourselves. And so when the other person says, oh, well, tell me about what's going on. And you, you open your mouth and you start talking. And actually the skill is saying, no, 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 Jonathan, you, you tell me what's going on. And you go, no, 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 Sandy. And you have this sort of ping pong match going on. 
the skill is to win that ping pong match and get Jonathan to speak first because it allows you time to formulate what you're going to answer. Also, here's what you're saying. And also it, you can see those elephant traps and therefore you may be able to then change what you were planning to say to something completely different. So I, I think listening is a real skill. Yeah. And staying with that, Sandy, one of the things in uh, uh the time to think dialogue approach that you and I use is, um, so someone comes to you with a problem, one of your high net worth individuals, they say, Sandy, what should I do about this problem? Now it's very easy for you to go rip off your top and go Superman shirt on there, do this and do that and then do the other. That's great, you've given them a fish, but you need to teach them to fish. So I, I find the dialogue where we go, okay, so, let's do some dialogue two minutes each way you go first what do you think you should do about this problem and of course as you say they then explain a lot of their thinking because they've been mulling it over maybe for weeks months sometimes years and and they go through all their thinking of how to solve their own problem often the right answers is in in their in their own grasp and then they stop themselves and they ask you the same question for your freshest thinking about it. And you build on their thinking. And then you say, and what's your freshest thinking now on how you should solve it? And back and forth until they solved it. But that dialogue works really well. But the temptation, as soon as someone asks you what they should do or how they should do something, is to jump in and give them the answer, be the answer man or woman. And no, that's not the answer. Actually, the person themselves has the answer. If only you draw it from them. What's, what's your experience of that? I think that's right. I think, you know, I think it's a blend, actually. I, I, my model of working with clients is a bit of a blend, but I think you're absolutely right. Get them to speak. Get, get it out of them first. It, it, you're blending that coaching and mentoring. You know, that mentoring is, is a much more long-term. You're shadowing them. You're there. The coaching is a, is a finite, you know, you're, you're finite. It's, it's doing a job, finish, done. And I think it's sometimes you need to steer them. Sometimes you're just there as a shadow and, it, and it's a combination of the both. But um, that's certainly with, with the next gen. With the adventurers, it's, it's uh, and, and, and the more extreme elements and, and especially around sport, it's about, uh, I think it's about just giving them some good piece of advice. They know what they're doing, but it's just giving them different processes that they can, they can take with them. Um, on that great but you know what i found going into covid which is very interesting we were coming back into this experiential leadership development i was doing much more of that you know i was doing a, a job out in vietnam in in january of, of last year you know and, and, and there was much more demand to do experiential so i think we've been through a phase of sitting in a classroom we're looking at a board going through theories but but i think we were we were reaching a stage where people wanted to actually have practical experience um, of, of, of actually trying it out and, and failing. You know, I've, I've listened to you many times uh, on your podcast. You know, I think failing is very important, but failing in a safe environment to learn those lessons from it um, so that when you are in the real situation, there is... Um, you, you've, you, you know, you don't fail. I mean, I think, you know, one team I worked with in, was, was Spear 17 when they crossed the Antarctic. So this was Lou Rudd, you know, a, a multi-expedition and multi-Antarctic um, leader taking a group of 
reservist soldiers who had never even been in extreme cold, you know, not even been to the Arctic or northern Norway, to cross, you know, 1,100 miles as a leader. I, I, I think that was a phenomenal, phenomenal skill, you know, and, and to ask him, you know, you know, when we were talking about it, you know, it was about having that room, that capacity of not being flat out himself, that he had working at 60, 70%. So he had that 30% to lead his group, to look after his group. And, and we did an exercise before they left. And, 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 and the exercise was a coal-based scenario. And everyone looked to him because he was the coal-based expert. And actually, you know, one of the team had the right solution. And, and it was fascinating watching over five minutes watching, um, you know, in the, the problem with the army is it's very hierarchical and everyone looks to the senior rank for the solution. And, and, and here, was a, here was a soldier who had the right solution. I knew he had the right solution. And I just wanted to watch the group's dynamic over five minutes as actually they worked it out. And, and interesting what Lou said to me was, you know, it changed the way I led. You know, I, I started to listen to the rest of the group and take their opinion. And I remember in the army, you know, very much that, that first patrol, I, I land in the helicopter in the middle of Ireland, age 20. I've got eight people, or seven people, two of them are gibbering wrecks because they're just out of training, much like I was, but they were all looking at me for the lead. You know, but it's that Chinese parliament of, of asking their opinions, but, but ultimately you've got to make, make the, the decision. And, you know, I, I think what Lou did was an amazing achievement and ultimately picked up an MBE for his leadership skills, which, which was fantastic. You know, I think that was brilliant. True, truly inspirational. And so in all these different experiences that you, you've had, Sandy, and you continue to have, because when we get out of lockdown again, I'm sure you'll be taking people off to some exciting parts of the, really exciting parts of the world. And give me a call, I'd love to join you. But what's the proudest moment or some of the proudest moments in your life, in your career thus far, and, and also some of the darkest moments, because as we say, we, we learn a lot from the tough moments too. So um, I, I, think, I think one of the ones I go back to is, is, is winning, winning at, at Henley, at the Princess Elizabeth, you know, in my youth, that was probably the build-up of five years of, of hard, hard, rowing you know we were training much as athletes train now we, you know we were five six days a week and I was rowing in two boats you know I was in a in a cox pan as in an eight and um we we just had a phenomenal um era where we won everything and we finished up winning that um my disappointment was I missed the junior world champs by a quarter of a length when when I was rowing at the national champs and that's I suppose that's if you look back on your life could I have done anything to make that quarter of a length up? Um, you know, but, you know, I achieved what I need to achieve. I think passing out of Sandhurst was good. I think Sandhurst is quite a strict environment and it's, you know, it, you've just got to get through it. And I think getting to that final goal without an injury, being back termed or anything like that was, was, um, was quite bright. And I think just keeping my business going over the last 10 years, it's been extremely challenging periods of you know we saw that dip in business once once we went into the brexit vote we saw the dip in business once the, the outcome of the brexit vote and then we've been hit by this covid so we you know 
our businesses have all been hit every two or three years by something quite dramatic, which is, which is in a service industry such as ours, gets hit very badly. Um, so, you know, just trying to keep one's head above water, I think, is, 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 um, is, is, uh, is, is an achievement in itself. Um, I, I, you know, what are parents made? I, I think, um, you know, passing through the army, I had some great moments. I think, you know, my job now, I find very satisfying in helping others achieve their goals. Uh, and, and that's quite, you know, quite tricky. Uh, and, and seeing expeditions, you know, achieve their goals as well as high net worth next gen achieve their goals. You know, uh, in many respects, trying to get the next gen is almost harder than trying to work with highly motivated individuals on a highly risky expedition. But I think that's good. You know, what it gives me is, you know, what I find now and why I do these trips, it brings back the same feeling as I had as a second lieutenant or a lieutenant leading soldiers. You've, you're back in charge, you're leading, you're in a, quite a binary environment. And, um, you know, that, that gives a little bit of adrenaline rush, but also responsibility. You've got to think, you've got to think on your feet. You know, I was running... It's the third time I'd done the West Highland Way this summer and, and someone got injured in, in possibly the worst location on the side of Loch Lomond, which, you know, you're an hour out either side walk from, from anywhere. And it was like I had minutes to come up with a plan of how we we're going to extract this person. And those sort of challenges are, I just think, you know, keep one's life interesting and keeping people safe because you, you, on these trips, you're always sort of two minutes away from something going wrong. And when it goes wrong, it goes wrong very, very quickly, especially in something like the Arctic environment. So you're always trying to think ahead on the what ifs um, to, to, try and, um, to try and prevent that. Looking at the darkest moments, I think is, I think the first one was my best friend. So my sort of roommate in the army when he had a nasty car accident killed himself in South Africa and I had to fly out and bring his wife and my godson back I think that was quite a quite a dark moment quite a challenging moment where you know I had to step up I had to give a, a talk I had to give, give a, a sort of obituary whatever you call it uh, in 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 South Africa I think my last six months at, at the family business before I was leaving I think that was challenging Getting through a divorce, as, as you might well know, is, is quite a challenging. And I think overall is fighting off negativity in one's life and, 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 and closing those dark moments down. You know, we've all had those dark moments at night and it's, it's, it's being positive, I think, is so important to move forward that, that I really, um, I think that's important. And out of that comes that resilience, building more and more resilience so you can fight off those dark moments, I think is so important. Um, and focusing on the controllables. We're in an environment here where there's so many uncontrollables. We can rant day and night about what Boris is doing to us and, and, and it's being locked down, but we have no control over it. It's important to focus on what we can control and focusing on, on trying new things um, and also... Um, you know, committing to things, doing things we are passionate about and not doing the things we're not passionate about. And, and, and reorientating your life, I think, is, is really important. 
Yeah, and, and you've reminded me there as you're talking about, and, and thank you for, for being so open about that, Sandy, because all of those experiences that you've been through, the, the loss of, of a close friend being killed, um, and also the, uh, the tough situation of going through a, a divorce. No one will wish that on, on their enemy. Um, and so many people are going through these these days and we sort of take it in our stride, but it's, it's a big thing. Um, you talked about uh, learning and resilience from, from those situations. I, I really enjoy a book, uh, which I commend to you and others listening, called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff by Dr. Richard Carlson. Uh, he's done a couple other ones about uh, happiness, but he, he talks about attitude and, and really attitude and your feelings psychologically then impacts your thoughts. And, and we, we don't give ourselves credit that we can choose our attitude. We, we can choose our mood. And so what kind of mood is the boss in is often a question that people will ask, you know, what's the CEO, what mood's the CEO in? And if they know he's in a bad mood, they won't go near him that day they'll wait for him being in a better mood before they approach because it, it makes a huge difference just as sleep does and you, you and I like uh, doc, Dr. Matthew Walker who, who writes uh, some excellent stuff and, and does some great yes. on why we sleep that just on that that time of the year when we change daylight savings times that one hour loss of time the, there's a 25 percent increase in suicides car crashes all sorts of things go wrong because just a little bit less sleep. And um, I think don't sweat the small stuff. And, 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 and in the book, he talks about, he made a mistake and uh, it was about getting a quote from um, uh, Dyer, Wayne, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And he had a quote from him in his first book. This was his second book and the publishers had put the same quote on and he hadn't got permission. And he was terribly worried about it. You have to take the books off the shelves and all this kind of stuff. And he, he'd written to Wayne Dyer and apologized and said it was a complete error. I'm really sorry about this. We're taking the books off the shelf. And he got a lovely letter back from Wayne Dyer. And, he, and Wayne Dyer said, there are two rules. Rule one, don't sweat the small stuff. Rule two, and it's all small stuff. And you've been through some moments where you lost your good friend, killed in a car crash. You've been in a really tough divorce. There's always moments. And there's these moments or when we were in the army, when people get killed or get injured or you're out on that walk by Loch Lomond and someone gets injured, that's when it matters. The rest of the stuff is quite small stuff, but we do get wrapped up in it. I don't know what your thoughts are. I agree. Are. I mean, you know, it, is it life or death and does it really matter? Those two questions you've got to ask yourself if you're winding yourself up. Um, but, you know, life, life up that mountain isn't a smooth path. There are going to be dips on it. And it is going to call on that resilience. And, and, and I agree. Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, it's about commitment. You, you will stick at something longer if you're passionate about it. It's about the challenges and, and, and you know, what. don't try and knock the wall down. If you can't knock the wall down, then go round it or think up a new plan and, and focusing on what you can control rather than all the things you can't control. And, and this is the real time now where it's, it's coming in on yourself. And, and, you know, I went through a period of isolation because my youngest son got, um, got COVID just before Christmas. Uh, and, you know, it's, that is really challenging when you're locked down as it is, and then you're locked down again, and yet you're the innocent party, you're not guilty, and there's nothing wrong with you, and yet you're confined to your house. And, and that mentally is a real challenge. So, I think coming out of this is going to be a huge amount of mental damage. 
And I worry a lot about the, men the, the mental cost. As we saw after most of these wars with soldiers, there's more suicides and more PTSD than actually victims in the actual war itself, as from the Vietnam Falklands. And I think there's going to be mental carnage at the end of all of this. And, and you know, we've got to help people through and help them get more resilient. And, and, you know, those dark moments when the brain wakes you up at four in the morning and you sit in the dark and, and the brain just takes you off on a very dark journey. You know, what I find is you, you switch the radio on or get the world service on you on your phone. You know, it, your brain immediately get this, gets distracted out of the dark chamber and, 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 and you, you are then back on it. And then daylight comes and you're back into this very positive you know, moving forward zone. So, you know, nighttime, dark moments mentally, I think are really tough and, and helping people through that is, is really important. Yeah, and, and you and I both have, have had our, our mental health challenges and our dark moments when we felt very low. And I, I think for people like us to be open about it um, without being seeing ourselves as victims as you don't, I think is healthy for others that they think, oh, Craig, it's not just me. There are other people who seem to be on the surface like you are very successful, but yet you've had some tough moments. And that was going to lead me on to my next question, which is your top tips for being healthy, wealthy and wise. A uh, bit, bit of, you know, tips about mental and physical health, tips about uh, managing money and, and wealth. And then a bit of wisdom. So what would be your top tips on healthy, wealthy and wise? So on the healthy, as I was, as we were chatting right at the very beginning, I, I, I'm a real cold water thermogenesis fan. So I was in the water this morning for five minutes. You know, the ice, it was minus two outside. I, I think the benefits of that, it, it becomes very addictive. You have to almost do it every day. And so I, I think the cold water thermogenesis, and if you can't, then it's it's in a cold shower. Uh, and doing that. I like the earthing, getting one's feet on grass, on the sand. You know, in the summer, we all feel super healthy when we're running around in barefoot. But in the winter, we isolate ourselves from the, from the earth. And I think getting getting our feet on, on Mother Earth, you know, there is, a, there is a transfer of positive and negative charges between the body. And you can read up more about earthing. But I think earthing is really important for the body um, to neutralize the buildup of positive charges and, and immediately after a, a thunderstorm or lightning, you have this, this huge negative charge in the air, which is, is, is so beneficial for the body. Movement, I think, is, is really important. And, and that's not necessarily going to a hit class and, and thrashing your body in your 40s or your 50s until you start getting injuries. But I think moving is, is, is really important and, 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 and walking. I mean, there is definitely more people walking now than there were a year ago. You know, I've done most of the footpaths between Kent and, uh, Kent and, and the Chilterns, and, and you can notice there's many more people walking there. We've mentioned sleeping. I think breathing is really important uh, and understanding. Uh, and James Nestor's book on breath is, is fantastic. Um, and, and understanding we breathe too much and slowing down one's breathing and controlling one's breathing, I, I think is really important. And then ultimately the most important is getting the sunlight first thing in the morning um, to really kickstart the melatonin so you end up sleeping better in the evening and there's a correlation between the sunlight first thing in the morning and I think the quality of the sunlight first thing in the morning is better than the afternoon so so those are really important factors I think fitting them in around one's day's work on the wealthy I mean 
I always, you know, being told by my mentors, you know, chase the money, then, then do end up doing the free work. But, um, you know, it, it's understanding that, that, you know, trying to get, as an entrepreneur, trying to, to earn money is tough. You never quite feel you're charging enough and no one ever wants to pay the price. And that's a, that's a challenge um, in itself and, and grasping the opportunity. I think there's always an opportunity in every meeting, but it might not be the one you went into that meeting to grasp. But it's thinking that in that meeting, there has to be an opportunity to grasp. So I think that's really important. And as one person, I think he must have been a banker. He said, charge like a bull. And I, I, I'm not quite sure whether I do charge like a bull, but, and, 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 but it's, a, it's a great phrase to keep in your mind. On the wise, I think listen to others. I think persevere and, and, and having the resilience, uh, lifelong learning, which, you know, a lot of people in their 20s stop rather sort of worn out by university and school. It's really important to keep on learning. And there's so many good courses online um, is to keep learning all the way through because, you know, we're going to have careers of 50 years plus. We're going to change um, careers probably three times and we're probably going to change jobs, you know, every four years or so. And there's going to be a recession every seven to 10 years. So we need to be able to continually keep our brand current and keep it like constantly learning, I think is really important about that. Great, great bits of um, healthy, wealthy and wise. Thank you, Sandy. That, I, I take a lot from those. And the series is about inspiring leaders and inspiring teams, uh, which is very much at the heart of the work you do. What's um, your view of what makes an inspiring leader and uh, an inspiring team? So I've worked with a lot of teams and a lot of individuals and having done leadership most of my life, I think there's, there's 12 things I'm going to give, 12, 12 inspiring and, and things that lead me. I think communication is really important, almost number one, is the ability to communicate. Having resilience, number two. Courage, number three. Having passion is, is good. And important number four, you mentioned it earlier. Number five, humility. Number six, having that emotional discipline, controlling one's temper, whether it's on the sports field or in a boardroom, it's that emotional discipline, not losing it when, when you could easily. I think consensual leadership, I'm a real believer in, in that consensual leadership of getting other people's opinions, but you ultimately make the decision and hearing all of those, I think that's really important. Pushing the set boundaries. Now, you see that in Grand Prix, you see the teams pushing into the gray zone, where is it legal, is it not legal? It's pushing those boundaries. How far can you push those boundaries without breaking things? It's, I think it's important as a leader, having that adaptability, number nine, uh, good decision-making, learning how to make good decisions. Once you've got that process, then you can then hopefully your, your your outcome will be better and you don't necessarily and you know that's relevant for the for the next gen especially where you don't have the experience if you follow a process you're likely to make a higher quality decision than than, than you will with the experience so there's a process and, and i think being positive constructive behavior being an influencer i think is number 11 and then Number 12, having that competitive focus, you know, that, that desire to win, that desire, but not to a point that it becomes just destructive in the end. 
Wow, well, that's a, a, an excellent list and I completely agree with it. it qualities that um, uh, we all wish we have uh, at times sometimes show, but at times we let ourselves down and we let others down by not displaying those qualities when they're needed. It is interesting that you talked about um, pushing, pushing boundaries. Uh, I, I commend the, uh, the film Lance about Lance Armstrong and he used to be my sort of hero. I thought, God, amazing, this guy's got through cancer and then he went on to just push himself and cycle and win the yes yellow jersey so many times. But then when you realize that the man was a white collar and still is a white collar psychopath and that he went, and, and, and when you watch the film, it's fascinating because he almost justifies it that look, you know, everybody was doing it. You know, like, so they were all taking these drugs. So really, yes, we did it a bit more professionally than they did it, but we were still very good. And it wasn't really that much. And, and he, he, he says the words that he apologizes for the hurt, but actually the guy was bullying and, 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 and richly humiliating anybody who was gonna step out of line and blow the cover on the fact that they were all doing these infusions of the drugs and things like that. But you go, a lot of these people look like Donald Trump. You know, he can justify everything he's doing, yet he gets all these people to go on a riot and um, insurrection on <coughs> But yet he goes, I just, I just said, let's go for a walk to the Capitol. I didn't do anything. You know, and they, they just don't take account for themselves. I don't know, what's, what's your thoughts on those two? I, I agree. I mean, I, I, as you were talking, I was trying to remember right at the beginning of the first lockdown on the, on the basketball league, Johnson in, in America, did you watch that one? As, as a leader of his team, the Chicago Bulls. You know, it was interesting looking at his leadership and he was a bully. You know, he had set standards and he wanted everyone, but he sort of bullied people to get that. I don't know whether he was a good leader. He, he bullied people and got there and he had this competitive edge. But it, yeah, yeah, that's going beyond the boundaries. Was, was that Michael, you know, was it Michael Jordan? Or Michael, was it Michael Jordan, not Johnson. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls was a yeah. fantastic program. Uh, but you saw really quite a dark side to him. Um, uh, but there were some really interesting leadership points that come through that. Um, and the other one I always I always look at, I don't know, not many people seem to um, have watched it, was um, when Ant Middleton did a reconstruction of Blythe in his boat. And he's got, I think Conran, somebody, is the skipper, is the actual experienced skipper. And they're in the doldrums north of Australia. And the boat's not moving and they're running out of water. So there's a critical decision that they need to get through the doldrums or they're going to run out of water. And it was either, you know, do we row during the night and, and, and sweat less and get through or um, just sit it out and eventually the currents will take you through the doldrums. Those were ultimately, I suppose, the tactical decision. But, but Middleton goes, this is a challenge. I can hear you all whispering. This is a challenge on my leadership. We're going to have a leadership vote. And he gets the whole boat to vote. And the camera's brilliant. It pans to Connor, who, who you can see his head drop because the boat votes for Middleton as the leader. But the issue was never his leadership was not being challenged. The issue was the tactical decision. And the expert was the one saying, we need to we need to get through this. This is not going to change. We need to get through. But Middleton misinterpreted it. And as a result of that, you start to lose members of the team. So voting 
as a leader is a very dangerous situation and it's not the same as consensual leadership and and it, it's a it's a fantastic clip on how to lose members of your team in a nanosecond by asking them to vote about something that wasn't even what the topic was about and it, it, it's a brilliant it's a brilliant clip on that i i must watch that and Sandy, this is great. I mean, there's so much that we can we can talk about. This is this is your passion and mine. Um, which leader has inspired you, and why have they inspired you? So, I thought about this a lot and hard. You know, I've been through. I've I've worked for a number of leaders, and I, I I'm not sure many inspired me. What inspired me were my mentors, who I've chosen to guide me through my life, through my business, I respect them and I respect their, their opinions. And to me, they're, the, they're my inspiring leaders who I turn to, who I, who I seek advice on a daily basis. But if you were to pluck one historic name out, you know, I think what Shackleton did, okay, he got his boat stuck, we can, we can park that part. But what he did after that, the rescue is, I just think, a phenomenal bit of leadership. And the risk he took and the rest of the crew to, to, to hit South Georgia mm. is absolutely um, amazing. And, and I suppose it's one of my ambitions would be to, to, to reenact that walk over, over the glacier down into on South Georgia. Um, so that was that's one of my um ambitions but it's and, and he brought all his men back didn't he he brought all his men back and he all his men back and they 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 the resilience of those guys living under a boat for whatever it was nearly a year living off sales i i think it was amazing and his resilience and belief that he could do it was i think a superb superb bit of leadership after he had fundamentally made a mistake and got his boat stuck in in the ice it is it, phenomenal so, so um, the next bit I'm interested in is, is the pandemic. Uh, two or three questions on that. The impact, what it's been, the impact the pandemic has been on you. How you think that the next one we can cover is how you think the pandemic's impact the way people lead now and in the future. And then we'll talk about crisis. But let's begin with uh, what's been the impact of the pandemic and the recession. It's been running a, almost a year now, let's say 10 months. Um, we know it's got a lot longer to run. I think it probably certainly has at least 12 months more to run, maybe even two years. People don't want to come to that term, but in lesser way, but it'll be around with us. What's been the impact on you? On me personally or on my business? Both, really. I think on my business has been devastating. Um, it's, you know, your business and my business are very similar. And, and it's about people. It's about working with people. And a lot of it was face-to-face -face, and a lot of it was experiential. Uh, you know, I, I did all the trips. You know, I can't, the last trip I got away was, was the West Highland Way. I was meant to be going to the Arctic at the end of January. I'm meant to be going to the Arctic again in, in, in April. And, you know, I'm meant to be doing a trip in a month. All of those had to stop. Um, and, and that's that's been extremely tough. I think you and I are similar, being a being a director of a limited company, a single shareholder, limited 
we, we fall into that black hole that has not had any support at all. Uh, so if I was to feel bitter and angry, it's about the lack of support. We've just been, you know, been told we, you know, this country wants entrepreneurs. It wants lots of people like us. I, I, I'm looking now, questioning whether the benefit of being a limited company, and if I switch my company to be self-employed, I'd have got grants. So I think that is the that has been the effect of this going on for so long. I think then it's the 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 impact on me personally has been um, it's about having that resilience and I think having the discipline. The day that organizing one's day becomes really important and breaking the day down and making the day work for you um, has been really important. Having a discipline of the day to keep chugging along, doing what you can do. But then I think the final thing is about pivoting. It's about, well, do we need to pivot the business? Do I, what do I need to do? And that's what I'm trying to do in Leaders Walk. Using the skills and experience I have, what can I get away? Now, obviously that's been shut down in this final lockdown in that I can't, you know, the hospitality element of it. I was able to take organized groups as I did the West Highland Way in, um, in September and working with teams uh, I could do, but that's all been shut down. So, you know, it, it's tough. And I'll come back to that comment about being in the bottom of the crevasse. You, you can sit in that bottom of the crevasse and wallow in self-pity and feel very sorry for yourself. But I think there's three, you know, if you're in there with the team in the crevasse, there's three elements. There's one, you've got to look after yourself. You've got to get yourself healthy. You've got to get the energy high because as a leader, you've got to get out of that crevasse and you've got to lead people out of that. And you can't do that if you're in no fit state. So you've got to get yourself fit, healthy, positive. Then you've got to think about the team. So it's, it's almost like a dares model. It's, it's the intrinsic, extrinsic, systematic. It's the me first. Then it's looking after the team. Is the team in the right shape? Right, now we've got to come up with a plan to get out of here because we can't just sit in this crevasse because it'll kill us. So you know, much as we all feel we're hanging on the edge of a cliff with the fingernails, you know, we've got to come up with a plan and we've got to come out of this uh, and stay strong because it will get better, but it's just, just tough at the moment. Your second question about leadership. Well, you know, the world changed. The world was becoming more technology driven than we did the odd video call with a friend, but suddenly in five days, we, we covered five years and, and, and we were five years further down the technology track in, in five days. We had no choice. We had to adapt and we had to adapt quickly. Uh, and now we're finessing that adaption. I think very challenging for leaders to lead people they can't see, touch, talk to. Um, there's employees who are joining companies who've never met anybody within the team. So to get that cohesive team when you're all in a virtual environment is, is going to be super challenging. I personally think this virtual world, this work from home, this 100% work from home doesn't work. If it had worked, we'd have done it centuries ago. It doesn't work. We, we love community. We love socializing. We like being with people. We like being in a hub. I think we will, as soon as it's clear, I think we'll, it'll trickle back. And, and, and if one was talking five years down the road and assuming this virus is under control, I think life will be back a lot to normal. There may be a little bit more working from home. Um, 
but working from home, you, you've got to trust your trust your team to do the work um, that, that has been slightly Victorian in the factory, monitoring them, watching them. Um, you've got to trust them. And it becomes task focused rather than FaceTime and hours done. It's about getting the task done. So I think there are some um, tremendous challenges on leaders and the leaders who can adapt and, and, and make this work um, are going to be the winners here. Um, it's focusing on the controllables. You know, the government are, are the uncontrollable and you just simply can't waste hours ranting about what they're doing to us. You've just got to adapt and pivot. Yeah, yeah it, uh, great advice. I think that is the way things will be going. And, and I, I think the point you make about trusting people to be, um, they call it row, results only work environment. Um, <coughs> that uh, it was Rommel who said there are, there are four types of officer or leader. There's the, um, there's the stupid and lazy, there's the stupid and hardworking, there's the bright and hardworking and this bright and lazy. He said, take the stupid and hardworking. <laughs> he actually said, shoot them, <laughs> get rid of them because they'll take you miles in the wrong direction because they're so stupid. They, they make bad decisions all the time, but they really work hard at it. Get rid of them <laughs> and, take, and, take the, and take the brightest and the lazy ones and promote them to the highest ranks because they'll get the job done and then they'll have some time off to relax and look after their family and friends. And I think in some ways there's some lessons for us um, in that. Um, take, taking from, from your experience of COVID and many other challenges you've had, what are your top tips for leading in a crisis and in times of change? I think with everything, having a very clear objective. If you've got a clear objective of where you're trying to get to, now that you could say that contradicts my point about your career heading in the right direction, but I think there has to be objectives. And whether there's and there will be sub-objectives. And keep coming back to what is our objective, because you can end up going down a lot of rabbit holes and divert it off. But it's this is our objective and this is what we need to achieve. Uh, and that's what we're going to focus on. We can move on to a secondary objective after that. I think critical decision making, you know, I think um, I think you can you saw that with Hitler at the end of the war, that bunker mentality when he still thought he had an air force out there. And, and, and the, the whole of the German forces were crumbling. But, but that sort of total bunker, getting out and understanding what is actually the situation, it, it, it helps towards um, helps towards that. And stopping that group thing, that, you know, what I find in my sessions is the loud, noisy male normally has the worst decision and the quiet female normally has the best decision. And, and what I find is a mixed gender team make the best decision a male-only team does not make the best decision. And that's a very interesting challenge for something like the army. Uh, and, and then even further down into special forces where you've got a very male-orientated, you know, all the statistics and all the data I've seen, when you're asking people to make decisions, the mixed gender team make the best decision because we have different behavioral patterns between genders and blending that. Now, I haven't seen whether an all-female makes better decisions than a mixed gender, but, but I do see that. I think decentralization and execution, you know, the army love it about that sort of mission command and getting people on the ground who, who know and understand it. And we've seen evidence of that in this COVID where, where councils are screaming and, and, and this centralized government 
is is very much centralized and more centralized and getting more centralized. And yet, you know, one of the things the army professes about mission command is about getting people down on the ground. We, I, I mean, I've, I've seen all sorts of things come up on the internet about, you know, different type distribution leadership I saw the other day. So I thought that's interesting. I haven't seen that phrase. So I read about it. And it was in, in military terms, it was about getting the platoon commander to do the job rather than the general. And, and, and I thought, well, we've been doing that for years, but they've now called it distribution. Now they've realized actually getting someone on the ground at the point to make those decisions because they're, they're in that environment, I think is really important. And, and, you know, when I look back at Robert Fleming, one of Robert Fleming's greatest successes, Bear in mind, I worked there in my gap year when there were 150 people. And by the time it was sold in 2000, there were, you know, 5,000 people and 54 offices. Was One of the greatest skills was joint venturing all around the world, using local knowledge in order to get in, rather than just plonk oneself into a country and assume you had that knowledge. So I think decentralization, um, understanding individual team and strategic needs, that, that classic Adair model, staying calm and building a good team around you, I think is, is really important. Fantastic, Sonny. Last couple of minutes, quick fire questions. Uh, what mistakes do you see people making? Not listening, interrupting, lacking courage and lacking resilience. Brilliant, fully agree with that. Uh, what would you like your legacy to be? Positivity and helping others to improve. Yeah, great. And finally, um, books that you'd recommend uh, people to read and what, what you've enjoyed about them. So I've, I thought about this long and hard. I've split it into three parts. Individually, I think Breath by James Nestor, mm -hmm. essential reading. Um, Peak by Professor Anders Ericsson, who sadly died um, not so long ago. And Tools by Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels or Michaels. Yeah. On the team, I think a really good book is, is The Captain Class by Sam Walker. Uh, I've seen him talk. He did a lot of research. He was a journalist, did a lot of research on what makes a good team and what makes a good captain. Brilliant book. Um, and then strategically, I think on family wealth, classic Bible by Hughes. Um, top of the ranks all the time. Rich dad, poor dad. Essential read for, for everybody, including your children. Uh, and, and being a Harvard guy, Execution Premium by Kaplan um, and Norton, I think, is, is really good. And I think everyone should have read Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters because that's just basic reading. You've got to have covered that one to understand the chimp and the gremlins in your head. Exactly. Sandy Loder, thank you very much indeed. Uh, an excellent podcast. And I'm sure uh, everybody like I have will take a lot from that. Wish you every success and uh, thank you for being with us. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. 
And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you. <laughs>